You're listening to the HFO Multifamily Market Watch podcast. Apartment owners who need to know trust HFO, the leading source for multifamily information in Oregon and Washington. Welcome back to HFO's Multifamily Market Watch podcast. It's Monday, March 14th. I'm Mike Pierce, HFO Research Analyst. The big stories from this past week. Portland apartment pipeline plunges. We take a look at construction, housing supply, and affordability in Oregon. And we ask the question, are cities still the hotspot for rent growth? HFO's podcasts are sponsored by Forensic Building Consultants, experts in multifamily due diligence assessments, construction design review, and more. HFO is your leading multifamily real estate firm in Oregon and Washington. Now, on to our news briefing. Multifamily construction fell 55% during COVID to the lowest point in a decade. CoStar reported that just 4,800 apartments under construction across the four-county metro area, down from 12,000 as recently as the beginning of 2020. Mike Wilkerson of Eco Northwest said that he believes there is stabilization now, and with rents sharply rising and low vacancy rates, there's still plenty of money to be made in Portland. Hopefully that will lead to between four and 5,000 units on an annual basis. And while Wilkerson characterized the news as bad, Josh Lerner, an economist for the state of Oregon, recently reported to the legislature that Oregon needs 111,000 housing units, including 54,000 units needed for families earning less than 40000 per year. Which brings us to our next topic, a new analysis from Josh Lerner on construction, housing, supply, and affordability in Oregon. Demand for housing is very strong. Vacancy rates are falling, home sales are rising, and while new construction activity is increasing some, in the big picture it is relatively steady here in Oregon. The lack of sustained supply response in housing in the past 20 years is problematic for both current residents and long-term economic and revenue growth. Oregon has underbuilt housing by 111,000 units in the recent decades. Unfortunately, the industry is running into some supply-side constraints. In general, these include a lack of financing, particularly for land acquisition development and construction loans, which contributes to the low supply of availability of land and buildable lots. Layered on top of those are the local land use, zoning and parking requirements, parking processes and design reviews and the like, which are generally well-intended, but can reduce the timeliness and number of units being built. Furthermore, labor is tight, particularly for an industry that has seen zero productivity increases in recent generations. It's going to take more workers to build more units. All of these issues exist, and then the pandemic hit, which simultaneously boosted home ownership demand and disrupted supply chains. Material and product availability is challenging, with longer lead times and more slowdowns in new housing production. In a market where demand is stronger, mostly due to rising incomes and favorable demographics, but supply is weaker, is one in which prices increase quickly. And when the market becomes a bidding war, as it does in a supply-constrained environment, it is our lowest-income neighbors and families that lose out. The statistics on the struggles of low-income households are myriad and staggering. In Oregon, about one in four rental households spend more than 50% of their income on rent, meaning there are twice as many low-income rental households in Oregon earning less than $22,000 a year then there are rental units that are affordable for those households. And only about one in four eligible households actually receive federal rent assistance. As a result, estimates are that half of the state's underproduction of housing, about 54,000 of the 111,000, are needed among those earning less than half of the area median income, or about $40,000 per year. It is important to keep in mind that housing affordability has two components, housing costs and household income. Affordability is a ratio between the two. As such, a growing economy with more plentiful and better paying job opportunities does help housing affordability, at least insofar as incomes rise faster than housing costs do. Improvements can be made on both components. The issue is is worse housing affordability forces family to make difficult decisions, at times impossible trade-offs. These include other basic needs like food, clothing, transportation, and healthcare. Affordability problems are also the root cause of homelessness. New market rate construction is necessary 
and provides a lot of benefits, but it does not solve the income affordability problems in the near term. As such, continued investment in affordable housing is needed. New affordable projects are expensive. For example, two recent projects in the Portland region are approximately $400,000 per unit and require substantial public funds, either from public sector directly or voter-approved bonds. Even so, it is clear that every unit counts. New construction meets the demand of mostly high-income households. What this means is that they are not competing with middle-income households for the same units, of which they will most likely remodel extensively, bringing the older, less expensive units back up to the luxury tier. New market rate construction also contributes to longer-term affordability through filtering, which is a decades-long process. Filtering is the main source of workforce and middle-income housing. Older units are generally less expensive, in part due to being used with a little wear and tear, less up-to-date, and broader societal changes in housing tastes and preferences. Consumers are willing to pay a premium for new and or updated housing. Today's tight housing market is part of the function of the lack of new construction in the 1980s. There are fewer units to go around as a result. Housing supply matters. If you build more units, you get more filtering. For example, there are more housing units that are in the most affordable third of the market built in the 1990s. Similarly, there are nearly as many units in the most affordable third built in the 2000s that were built in the 1980s, despite being 20 years newer. This is due to the fact that Oregon built 40,000 more units in the 2000s than it did in the 1980s. Again, if you build more units, you get more filtering. What this also means is that given Oregon built so few units in the past decades, it will unfortunately have a lasting impact on availability and affordability in decades to come. The Oregon Office of Economic Development forecasts that in the decade ahead, we will need 220,000 new housing starts which is closely tied to the population and demographic forecast. This outlook does not make up for the existing shortfall. The primary reasons are all the supply-side constraints discussed earlier, and the simple fact that Oregon has not built enough units in recent decades, so it's hard to assume that we will suddenly start tomorrow. Public policies like duplex legalization, HB 2001, and HB 2003, do support an increase in housing supply. These changes should provide economic, environmental, and social benefits for the decades ahead. These benefits include affordability, improved economic mobility, more walkable neighborhoods, and even more efficiency in the infrastructure, to name a few. However, these policies are best thought of as long-term improvements and are not a silver bullet to immediate supply issues. Rather, it will likely take a concerted policy and workforce effort to increase the authorization and actual construction of more units. Ultimately, housing affordability is a long-term economic and revenue risk. A slower-growing population means there are relatively fewer workers earning less total income. That translates directly to fewer customers and sales for local firms, and less taxes paid to the local and state governments. Housing affordability remains a key risk. And now we ask the question, are cities still the hotspot for rent growth? Apartments close to city centers are losing their status as rent growth hotspots. The best bet for investors is now 30 to 60 minutes away. The impact of work-from-home arrangements instituted by companies fighting to contain the spread of the coronavirus from 2015 to the start of 2020, areas within 15 minutes of a city center outperformed on economic rent growth due to a combination of good rent growth and outsized demand and inventory growth. Then, in the second quarter of 2020, economic rent, along with asking rents, within 15 minutes of a city center declined, while every other drive time band increased. Even though renters have returned to downtowns, the result is the best place for investors seeking rent growth is in drive time rings further out. In examining drive time belts across the country, CoStar Advisory Services found that 30 to 60 minute distances had fewer apartment properties than the 15 minute ring, but experienced the best cumulative growth since 2015. Time to look for some tertiary markets. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a new edition of Multifamily Market Watch. Be sure to check out our most recent HFO TV interviews. We have a new interview with Adam Smith talking about the latest trends in Willamette Valley, Eugene, and Oregon Coast. HFO TV videos are available on our website or our YouTube channel. You can always stay up to date on multifamily news throughout the week 
by visiting or subscribing to the Northwest Apartment Investor blog available on our website. Thanks for listening and talk to you next week. Stay in the know with HFO. Listen to podcasts, read the latest news, or watch exclusive HFO TV interviews. Connect to our blog, podcasts, or video interviews directly from our website at hfore.com.